there, and welcome to the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Holotic, and I'm so glad you're here. Each episode, I'll be joined by another woman to hear her story and talk about everyday life. These are real women with real stories, and they want you to know that you're not alone in what you're going through. We're going to talk, answer some questions, and of course, we're going to have some fun too. I believe God wants us to be in community with each other. I believe that our lives weren't meant for isolation. I believe we're better together. And if you believe that too, then welcome to the tribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. We have a great story that I'm really excited to share with you later on. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. We've talked about it before. Rating and reviewing just helps other people find the podcast. And so since our whole mission here is to share our stories and encourage the women around us, one of the best ways we can do that is to rate and review the podcast so that those women can find the podcast, can hear these stories, and can be reminded that they're not alone. So make sure you do that. And then, as always, please share this podcast episode with someone you know who um, who could benefit from hearing it and be encouraged by it. Um, I just really encourage you all to do that. So don't forget to rate and review, share the podcast with someone you love, and let's jump into our conversation today with Andrea Jones. She's a really good friend of mine, and I'm really excited for you to hear her story and learn from her and hear her wisdom. So let's jump into that. All right, we are here with my really good friend, Andrea. I'm so excited that you're on the podcast today, and Andrea. It's so good to have you. I am too. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, I, it's so fun to be able to connect with you again. Yeah, it has been a, l- a little bit of time since we've been able to talk, but um, I'm so glad that, that you're here. So will you just kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, your, about your husband and your family, your job, your hobbies, just all kinds of good stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a big list of uh, <laughs> so many things. So, uh, I, so I am a, um, inc- I, I'm, I'm starting here because it's, I find it very interesting and I still am contemplating it, but I am, uh, I'm knocking on 50 years of age. So mm-hmm. I turned 50, um, in a couple of months, I am a product of a, um, of a, of a mother and father who were both believers uh, one who was, um, let's just say in the climate today, it's fair to say like would be considered far right and one far left and they married each other. And I grew up in Colorado where I, I live today. Let's see, I met my husband um, and uh, let's see, I met him when I was 15 years old. Um, we've been married almost 30 years. I have a son, Jeremy. He turned 29 in October. My son, Andrew, turned 26 in September. Uh, he's married. Uh, and they just had their first grandbaby, a little boy named Elijah. So I am a Mimi, um, which mm. is crazy cool and new, all, all of it, all the feels still going on. And I'm still processing that. Um, and then we had a caboose, Alyssa, she's 13 and she keeps us young on our toes and brings all kinds of sassafras to, uh, to the table in our family, but we love it. Um, and yeah, I've been, I work at Mops International. Uh, I get to lead the development team there all about relationships. A little bit about my background is that my husband and I, we did get married young. 
We um, really quickly jumped into volunteering and then being on staff, um, serving uh, kids in ministry, uh, really evangelistic leadership development kind of programs um, from the time really we first got married. And uh, we ultimately um, spun off a ministry of our own, had a board. Yeah, like, we, you know, it was beautiful. We ended up moving to Texas for 12 years of that time. And so, but always bivocational. So, um, yeah, a lot. There's a lot there. <laughs> it's all so good. We're definitely going to talk more about like your story with your husband and your relationship and all of that good stuff. Before we get started with that, though, um, kind of just what we're talking about today as a whole is just intentionality in relationships, pursuing those relationships like you were talking about. That's such a big, important part of not only your job, but also just your life in general. And then specifically talking about relationships, you know, with people who have differing ideas or opinions or um, skin color or ethnicity than you. And so we're just going to dig into all of that. So will you um, just tell us like, what was the culture and atmosphere maybe in your home or just in the country and the world um, surrounding like race and diversity kind of when you were growing up? When I was younger, um, they were still busing. So, you know, it was, it was, it was past the time of um, uh, real segregation, quote unquote. Um, and instead what they were doing was they were busing kids from um, inner cities and maybe all black communities um, into white communities to go to school and vice versa. So um, when I started school here in Denver, um, I was going into kindergarten. My mom and dad had just, you know, really recently moved here from California. And um, they, when they moved here, they moved and bought a house in Denver proper. And, uh, and I was bused. I was bused into um, uh, the city. And in that school, I was one of very few uh, Caucasians that were at the school and um, made friends, met people. And um, my dad, though, I think the, the culture of family at the time was very much a lot of families were doing this. They were moving from cities, proper cities, into more suburb environments. They just called it white flight, you know, this like massive migration of uh, of in of families that were moving into suburbs um, under the guise of better housing, bigger houses, two car garages from one car or separate garages and uh, and schooling and my my parents definitely fell into that line of thinking and so when we moved uh, and I was going into first grade. I was only in Denver schools for about a year. And then in first grade, we moved to um, Littleton area, which was very suburban and not diverse. Um, and I would say that the world around me was everyone suddenly looked like me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from church to my neighborhood to my school. And I got real comfortable just being like, that was where we grew up. <clears throat> Always though, as I think back on uh, even elementary school, I remember in fourth grade, um, my my besties. One was the one of three African American young women at our school, and then one was like one of two uh, Asian American women at our school. You know, she was a girl, but you know, we. I mean, like I, I sit there even now. I think back, and I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting that my dad and my mom moved all the way out to this white community, and then who ended up being my best friends. Like we, we were inseparable. We, 
uh, started clubs and like in fourth grade, I remember starting a club and we figured out like how to charge dues and, <laughs> and to do things to like help other people. And, and, uh, and I love just learning. Um, I was just curious. And so that's one of the things that I've seen as a theme, you know, all along is this like curiosity, not like nosy, not like tell me about you, um, not like, you know, the things you hear in like today when we talk about microaggressions, like what do your people eat? It wasn't like that. It was very much this um, very open-handed, curious about, um, you know, different people that didn't look like me. So um, it, I, I can see those threads all the way through. And that continued really um, my, my friend, in elementary school. She was my friend also in junior high and then again in high school, um, inseparable. And, uh, and you know, like I said, one of three African-American um, in, in our school at the time of 1500. So it was, it was not a diverse neighborhood um, and church was all white and I didn't have a lot of exposure. But what was happening culturally at the time was sort of an awakening. Uh, those were the times when music wasn't, you know, music began to integrate. So, you know, you would see like in the top 40, you know, um, rap pieces and, and, and little trickles of rap music was coming in. Um, the urban culture and the city culture was beginning to be something that was sort of heightened and idolized and, and, um, and infiltrating not only music, but dress and fashion and all of those kinds of things. Um, but I wasn't at the time really like taking this sociological view of why am I wired this way? Why are all my friends the ones that don't look like me? Um, I, I didn't, I just didn't go there. It was just how it turned out. As you were, you know, like you said, making friends with people who were different from you, did you ever experience backlash from the people who did look like you for being friends with people who didn't look like you? Yeah, I would say the strongest backlash really um, was probably with my family and church. Um, and that's so hard to say, you know, because I, I, I know that so many believers just, you know, can, can come to the table with um, preconceived ideas and fears that, you know, you could get into an entire sociological conversation about um, the press and how we cover things like protests and call all of them riots. And uh, there's just so many things that you could dive into that I'm not equipped uh, to do. But I do know that that, that it was really legitimate fears from family and from, and from other, other believers. Um, the, the culture of that time was very much, um, uh, let's go and let's circle the wagons and do our own thing. And let's, and let's make sure that we keep the world out. Um, and, and, and so in my home, I heard a lot about the world is out. This is us. The world is out. This is us. And, uh, I think in general, um, the biggest struggles in my life and when I, you know, I even had a season where I walked away um, from going, I stopped going to youth group, I stopped going to church because I would secretly read my Bible. So nobody, I've never really said this, I would go and I would secretly read my Bible and I would read the stories of how Jesus interacted with people and they didn't match with the, the bylines that I heard, right? So I, I was hearing things, uh, there was a situation in my family where there was um, a moral shortcoming in one of my, my family's um, 
relationships and it made all of the rest of the family really mad and angry and and but the words that i was hearing was like heathen and she cooked her goose and she's going to hell in a handbasket and i remember i mean this is when i'm 14 years old okay so at 14 i'm beginning at that point and that's when i really began to start struggling with those things that i was hearing and those and those undercurrents there and then with what i read and I saw Jesus doing. So you mentioned a little bit about the story of how you had met your husband. And so let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, you mentioned, you know, he's African-American, you're white. What were some of the challenges that you experienced maybe like being in that relationship, that interracial relationship at the time, the perspective of your families, just like that whole story? <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, I think everybody wants their child to grow up. And in particular, um, if you're um, raising your children to follow the way of Jesus and um, and you, you want your kids to grow up and you want to kind of set them up in a good way, right? And so the heart behind some of the things that we heard uh, was really well-intentioned. And I know that. But um, but when I met him, it was at a Bible camp, actually. And the, um, the ministry that my husband was involved with that later we ended up working for, um, they took a group of kids up to this camp. And um, this is one of those other situations where like, I'm 15. And since I was 13, I was meeting other um, individuals, girls and boys from this same ministry from the inner city of Denver. And I was just asking tons of questions and learning about their culture and their upbringing and, and making some incredible friendships really along the way. But I met, I met him at this winter camp and I was 15. Like I said, he was about 17. Um, we just exchanged phone numbers and did the corny flirty, ah, I'm dumping popcorn on you. It was silliness. <laughs> um, and then I wrote my, so I wrote, wrote my number on this um, big red um, chewing gum wrapper. And we kept in touch every like six months. Um, we would call each other and just chat for a little bit and then be, that would be it. And my dad, you know, would be like, uh, that fast talking guy's on the phone again for you. <laughs> so, and I knew, you know, I knew it's Jimmy. Um, and, uh, but we just chat again. And so when I was uh, 18, I, I called him and I'm like, out of the blue, I'm like, hey, I haven't seen you since like for three years. What would it look like to like see each other and just meet up? And so we met at a Wendy's and that was like, the, the rest is kind of history. But this guy pulls out the same big red wrapper piece of paper with this, like my handwriting from three years earlier. He still has it. And he didn't say it then, but he goes, look. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy's, you know, you know, wow. And um, later he told me, uh, not then, because that would have scared me away. But he said, like, I knew I was going to marry you. Hmm. And I can't exactly say the same thing for myself <laughs> as I think about that time. Um, but uh, at the time we started dating and talking, I know it was hard for my dad. Um, the culture that my dad grew up in was very different. I know it was hard for him to process that. Um, like I said, my dad, so my dad was really uh, right and conservative and grew up in a very conservative, very fundamental home, Christian home. My mom, um, she grew up in a much more liberal environment, but that still like loved God. And, you know, it, it was very, her, her faith journey is very different than my dad's was. She didn't become a believer until she was um, outside, out of college actually. And, um, 
and she would, you know, she, but she always, she always balanced my dad. They balanced each other. Right. That's like what, you know, I think that's what mar marriages do. Um, and so they balanced each other um, and she would kind of temper things he would say. Um, but it wasn't easy at the time. It wasn't like the kind of overt comments and pressure that you would get from that, that I think really the first interracial couples, you know, in the sixties and seventies, I mean, they got like overt, very overt in your face, um, comments, racism, um, our, ours was very much under the table. It was, uh, done in a way where, you know, you know, marriage is hard enough. Do you want to add another tough piece to it? Mm -hmm. um, you're so different. I, I would say to this day, um, that the race, the race piece for us didn't have as much impact as did the way we grew up, mm. the, the social ways that each of us grew up and family. And I think everybody deals with that. Like his family is different than my family. And they did that. You did what, what was your, what did you do for a tradition? Um, and so, um, the beauty of, of us coming together was that we were in a time when people didn't overtly say things, but you could, you could kind of tell we heard, right. We heard through the grapevines that people were like, and I'm not sure if they're going to make it. And, and so when you hear those things, you almost become more stuck. Well, for me, <laughs> I'm a little more stubborn and dig my heels in. I'm not sure that's the best, but that's what I do. And for some reason, even in those places where I would maybe, I always call it getting growlies in my heart. When I would get like these growlies in my heart because of a response I heard somehow always in that place, I, I would, I had this uncanny ability to pull away and to put myself in their shoes and think about how they grew up how they were culturalized and normed and and what they were accustomed to and then again grace it doesn't excuse it doesn't excuse but it it definitely was um it helped it helped me and i knew i needed this and i think god knew that too to not become hardened or or angry in my heart let not letting those growlies so to speak you know kind of like hang out there and in every relationship like i think that's so important so with your three kids you talked about them a little bit earlier how have you tried yeah. to teach them to have the same you know posture of curiosity and pursuing relationships with people who look or think or act differently than they do i will i will say i don't think i did as good of a job as i could have right and and I'm I'm doing like a hindsight now I'm not done yet so <laughs> I'm not done yet um I but but with my my son who's almost like he just turned 29 and my son who's 26 um we really physically just we moved I mean we moved from Denver where both of our families were to Texas where we knew nobody and then we you know started this outreach to you know a community that wasn't like either of us it was largely hispanic community and so it was like huh what are you inviting us to god but again here i am in the situation where we're like well we're gonna learn about a new culture and and you know flash forward 12 years after knocking on doors and walking with our kids door to door and sharing the gospel in this open field and doing fun days and camps like we were invited to my husband, a lot of our dads um, would run into some legal problems here and there. And uh, of the families we served, it was a really little teeny tiny poor area. And my 
my my husband, you know, ended up serving as like, uh, for those who don't know, like our the, the the girls that we work with would have like their 15, their quinceanera birthday it was a super big, super big deal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's this father, da- this father daughter dance that happens and, and Jimmy like would step in, in a father's role for dads that couldn't be there for whatever reason. Um, and we ended up having this incredibly rich um, uh experience learning so much growing so much and new you know again it's this like posture of curiosity and like new ways that families might live together and the beauty of different generations in the same household um really living out this invitation way back in deuteronomy like which is like teach your children and your children's children and so there's so many beautiful things that we learned in that. But my, our kids, what I'm trying to say is that our kids, we demonstrated it more than we talked about it. Mm. We weren't the family uh, that, and, and I even, cause we, you know, we had some of these questions ahead of time. I talked with my son, he's 29 and he's like, y'all didn't really talk about race all that much, but you like, but where we lit, we lived, we lived in a very diverse community from the time we started having um, our children until probably they were, well, he was a senior in high school. And so we lived it. We lived in diverse communities and they went to diverse schools and we kept them intentionally in public schools, but we, we demonstrated it. And I think there's power in that. We lived a life that was an example of what it means to reach into other communities that don't look like you and to learn about people who don't look like you and don't think like you and don't go to the same church as you do and watch God move powerfully in that space. Um, was I intentional to, you know, to make sure that they um, knew certain things about their history, about like African-American studies? I honestly had this much, right, of that. Um, and I'm making a little teeny tiny <laughs> pinchy because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really study a bunch. I didn't study the sociological implications of the African-American, you know, backdrop or, Chicano studies or, uh, or women's studies. I took like a few classes in each enough to be dangerous maybe. Um, <laughs> and, and just to be honest, but I knew what I knew was that God kept inviting us, my husband and I now, me when I was younger into situations where we, uh, did community and did life with people who were very, was just super diverse. And so they had that example I would say now, I think one of the things that is a current struggle is that we, when we moved back here to, from Texas to Colorado, we chose a neighborhood that is mostly white. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and, and I, I, we landed here, uh, two reasons. Part was the areas that we wanted to move into have regentrified in Denver's inner city. And so there was a housing cost variation. And then there was the schooling piece that was very real. Like at that point, you know, I'm not a young mom, like we're going to figure out school. I was like, okay, we have had like disaster school situations. And I just want to be in a place where I didn't have to keep reapplying and trying for this and trying for that. So we really landed, we landed here for that reason for my daughter. Um, and she is in some of the more diverse schools in Littleton schools right now. Um, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that is, it's a hard place right now. If I'm honest and I just sit alone, sometimes I'm like, we've got to figure out how to, how to be a little bit more, um, 
diverse for her in action. Um, the the ministry that we were investing in looks, um, we've kind of put that to bed. Uh, and so we're in a space where we're both working and, um, and the world looks, I think the way that the world looked for me for the most part when I was younger. And, and, um, and so I think that's something that even just in walking through these questions, honestly, Hannah, I'm like, I, we need to figure this out. We need to do a better job at this. We need to be more intentional. Is it looking for um, a church? I think one of the things we're, we're, you know, pulling the string on is looking for a church that's much more diverse, where they worship very differently than we do, and 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 allowing Alyssa in particular to absorb that um, that people worship in many different ways. We we actually live like a, two blocks from a Korean church, I believe, and when they pray when we, I take our walks in the morning and they have a very early service. It's like 7 a.m. <laughs> and when they, when in this parking lot's full and it's this really old, tiny church. Um, and, but when you walk by, so they are, they all pray together at the same time. And there have been moments where I just start weeping when I'm walking by because it is is the most beautiful thing to hear. And I don't understand everything that's being said, but to know there's like 75 people all praying at once. So I think that's, to be really honest, like shedding the spotlight. I think we have to do this sometimes. We have to turn the spotlight back on ourselves. What are you doing? You did this thing maybe really well with your first two kids and there's room here and you're missing the mark. And I think it's renewed because of the culture in the last two years, because of what's coming to light in the last two years, because of the inequities, because of the things that we're seeing on TV, because I've, I've had those conversations. I'm the mom that had to tell my kids, if you get pulled over and we practiced it. So we would practice it. I would be in the cop car or my husband would be in the cop car and like, okay, you're going to pull over. What are you going to do? You're going to keep your hands on the wheel. You do not make any sudden movements. If they ask you to get your insurance, you don't just reach over to get it. You say, okay, I'm reaching for my wallet. It is in the glove compartment. May I reach for my wallet or would you like to reach for my I mean, and the kind of conversations that I knew I had to have with my sons that my friends didn't and, and they take you know, they take for granted, I think, the fact that they don't worry that their kid might accidentally run into a situation. Um, uh, because I think the world, the world today, uh, before the last probably three or four years would think, well, wait, uh, that's because they were doing something wrong. They were being shady or they were up to no good or whatever. And I think what we're beginning to see and so many people are beginning to see is actually you can do almost nothing and you can end up in a really bad way if you are the wrong skin color. And, and people are coming to terms with that. And again, even in that space, listening well, right? So it's like this intentionality, it's listening well and it's staying curious to understand what the, what your experience has been. I mean, there have, I've had to talk with my son who, one of my sons was very, very, very articulate, enunciated every word properly. <laughs> and, um, and, and he would be in a classroom in high school and have the kids that were African-American say, come on, man, why aren't you talk hood? Why don't you talk hood? And then he would have, you know, other kids say, you know, why do you talk so properly? And so, I don't know that he ever felt like, like I can't win. But then I have another, like my other son, his younger brother is like really like figured out how to like, um, 
walk in both, right? Walk in both sets of friends. And when I say sets of friends, even that my son who is younger was involved in much more sports. And so he had more diversity in his life. And so I don't mean sets meaning separate, but I mean that, that those audiences were together for him and in the sports environment and culture, he was able to just be himself. Um, and I think, I think that may have been my older son geared toward arts and academics and, um, and then the expectation there was just constant. So those are hard conversations to manage. And, and just to be frank, like hearing um, sort of some of the status quo comments that you hear from, you know, some of, you know, some of my family and some friends and the church, some people in the church, not all have broken, they've broken my, my boy's hearts. Mm -hmm. um, this last couple of years, it's tough. It is tough. Okay, Andrea, my last question for you is just if you were, if you met someone who is trying to have this posture of curiosity and is trying to dig in and have these relationships, you know, with people who look differently than they do or think differently than they do or, or those kinds of things, what would, what would you tell that person to do? It is a hard road to navigate and I think that it's hard. It's hard to read, right? All the things on Facebook and all the opinions because it, it's just our experience and our background is so different. And we all have differences, how we grew up, what we think now. Um, you know, your best friend and you that thought the same way three years ago is totally thinking and processing the world differently today. And how do you navigate that and keep communication open so that they feel like no matter what, even if they like, you think this way, I think this way about these really core things that they feel like they could come back to you and sit down and have a conversation and you're curious and you lean in and you ask questions in all relationships, whether they're work or family or home. I think I fail the most at family, just being honest. Um, I think we all do. Like we take advantage, we overlook, we underappreciate. Um, but definitely in family, I can, that's when I can get really riled up and want to be right and remember, need to remember and remind myself, you actually don't have to be. Um, and you may or may not be. And even if you're right, there could be a different way. You may be right. And it may not matter that you're right. If you are breaking every trust and faith and peace of grace and communication around you. It may not actually matter that you're right anymore because you've lost your voice and you've lost your influence into the lives of the people around you. I think there's this space in the middle where you don't have to go all the way this way, all the way that way, but you can just listen and have that posture that wants to hear, what was your story? What happened? You know, those are my favorite questions. Like, tell me about you. What makes you, you, and tell me your story and, um, and then pull the thread on, on how God's, you know, sometimes I don't ask that quite, I don't always ask like, how's God working in your life? Um, I don't, that I instead, like, I love pulling these little strings and asking questions and then, you know, to sit there and, and, and have eyes to see, I think it's from the Lord, you know, like, you can see God's hand in people's lives all along the way, even when they can't necessarily see it themselves. And you just got to trust that, man, the Holy Spirit's way better at his job than we are. <laughs>
<laughs> and 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 kind of living in that space. Mm, that's so good. Awesome. Andrea, I think that's a really great place for us to take a quick break. So we're going to do that and then we'll come back with some fun questions. Awesome. I love fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we are back with my really good friend, Andrea. Andrea, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. It's been so fun to talk to you today. I know, I've loved it. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, we're going to answer some fun questions. So my first fun question for you is, who would play you in a movie about your life? <laughs> okay, I'm giggling because um, I happen to love, so my brain works in ways of funny comedy and for some reason almost in all these weird like I can be in a really weird situation or tough situation and my mind goes to a Saturday Night Live skit <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it has to be Tina Fey or Maya Rudolph one of them would definitely play <laughs> she yeah that's it <laughs> Tina Fey is one of my favorite yeah she's so good I love that little crazy little crazy little sniffing under the arms little all kinds of stuff yeah <laughs> I love it. All right. My next fun question for you is what product, so it could be maybe a book, a show, a movie, a household product, anything like that. What product are you loving right now? Okay. Right now, books. The books that I'm reading are World War II. I just, and I don't even mean to pick them, but I, <laughs> I'm grabbing books and I'm buying books and I'm like, really? It's World War II again. So um, historical fiction and for some reason, it's mostly World War II. Uh, and then, um, yeah, product. I think that's it. I think that's the big thing. Like, I, it, it just takes me to a place, and then it's a reminder of that, that, that our history and our, our past and our, like, there's so many hard, hard places. And that, um, you know, and that we come out on the other side and that God leads through in all of the places in history. And this is his story. And yeah, all that, all that is wound up into that. <laughs> Have you read City of Girls? No. Oh, it's a good one. I literally. I'm getting my pen. I'm writing it down because <laughs> I'm getting my pen because I love, I love recommendations. It's so good. I literally just finished it literally yesterday. And it's not, it like takes place kind of before and after World War II. It's not necessarily like about World War II, but there's a part yeah. of it that is. But okay. it's all about just like New York City and the culture of New York City and how it changed like pre-World War II and then post-World War II. It's, it's a good book. I love it. I'm, I will probably have it being delivered here really soon. I'm saying, saying Amazon Prime is going to be on like speed. Yep. Yep. It's really good. I disclaimer for everyone listening. It's not the most, I would say it's maybe like PG, PG 13, maybe R rated in a few little spots. <laughs> so just a heads up if you're, you Got know, it. just use that yeah. as a disclaimer, but it is a really good book. So that's awesome. You go. You'll have to let me know what you think. I will. I will. And I'm, I'm definitely going to get it because if it's a recommendation from you, I'm, I lean into this. <laughs> I do love my books. <laughs> yes. All right. Last fun question for you is what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Yeah. So I'm assuming this is really, really young. Um, maybe younger. Like, I don't know. Okay. So I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to answer this. In junior high, I wanted to be an interior designer. Nice. In high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Nice. As a little kid, like three years, four years of age, I just wanted, so I would line up all my dolls. This is from my grandma telling me this. And then um, I would share about Jesus. So I, I never wanted to be like a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a vet, nothing like that. It was totally like when I was really, really little, that was it. It was just sharing with people how much Jesus loves them and cares for them and that he died for them. And that was like my jam. Yeah. I love that. That's super cute. And I think that is a really great place to lead into our final question. So this is how we end all of our podcast episodes. Um, and the question is, what do you want other women to know about God from your story? He will pursue you. And it is a beautiful thing to be pursued. It can also hurt. It can also be uncomfortable and itchy. I've felt all those things. But through uncomfortable and itchy and feeling out of my comfort zone and in the good and the hard and the beauty that is life, that God has pursued me. And that he pursues each of us the way that we need to be pursued. And I can see his hand in my life, honestly, since I was a baby. That he is strong. That he is safe. And if you dare let him, he will captivate you with a love that invites you into a daily surrender. And it almost feels dangerous. Mm. So big. But the return on that surrender is an intimacy that's so close that it just undoes me, mm. just undoes me. There's no relationship, no encounter, no experience that that kind of intimacy and love and acceptance can take the place of. Mm, I love that. That's so beautiful. And I love that that is where we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much, um, not only for sharing that, but also just for sharing your story and, and like I said, your vulnerabilities and, um, you know, struggles that you've experienced and for helping us all be better humans, you know, and <laughs> love people around us better. So That's thank right. you for being here, Andrea. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Hannah. I'm so excited that you got to hear that conversation with Andrea. She truly is one of the wisest and, and most godly women that I know. And so just hearing what she had to say did so much good in my heart. And I hope that it benefited you and um, encouraged you and maybe taught you something new as well. As always, we're going to end our podcast today with a benediction. And I'm actually going to pull our benediction today from the book of Romans. Um, one of the things that we learn in the Bible is that other people know our love for Jesus by the way that we show our love for others. And so our faith and our salvation isn't dependent on our works, but our works and how we behave and how we act around other people demonstrates what we believe about Jesus. And so that's what this benediction is all about today. It's, it's from the book of Romans, from Romans 12, 9 through 18. May you let love be genuine. May you abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. May you love one another with sisterly affection. 
May you outdo one another in showing honor. May you not be slothful in zeal. May you be fervent in spirit. May you serve the Lord. May you rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. May you contribute to the needs of those around you and seek to show hospitality. May you bless those who persecute you. May you rejoice with those who rejoice and may you weep with those who weep. May you live in harmony with one another. May you not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. May you never be wise in your own spirit. May you repay no one evil for evil, but may you give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, may you live peaceably with all. And may you always remember, we're better together.